This is the Enneagram Sandbox, an insightful yet playful look at the Enneagram through the creative mind of a joy-seeking seven. There's magic in the sand, no cats allowed. Welcome back to the Enneagram Sandbox. I'm Glenn Ostland, and this is episode three of season one, and it's all about twos. And today, my sandbox is cosmic. It's a portal to other dimensions, to parallel universes, to alternate realities. Because the sandbox you see is my own imagination. And I build spaceships in it. I design planets. I track the cultural progress of alien civilizations. And then I blow them all up and then I build them up again, just for fun. The sandbox is my imagination, you see, and I invite you to come in and play with me. But hey, it looks like you're already here, so let's play, and let's share what we're learning from others about the Enneagram. And as we play and share, let's agree to not take any of this stuff too seriously. I mean, let's explore different ideas and different perspectives, but let's have fun with it. Now that may be easier for a seven like me than for other personality types, but that's really what I want this sandbox to be. Let's ask questions, let's challenge assumptions, but please, as always, keep your overly insulting, rude, negative, critical kitty cat cattiness away from the sandbox because, you know, the cats, they tend to mistake it for something else and, you know, no cats allowed. So, here we go. You're not going to believe what happened. I mean, this was insane. It, I mean, it's sane, but it was just crazy. It was amazing. So last night, late last night, I, I couldn't sleep. I mean, it would be nice at some point I could say that I'm sleeping at last. Maybe that'll happen at some point in today's episode. But last night, I couldn't sleep. So I went out and I started digging around in my sandbox because, you know, what do you do when you can't sleep? You know, you play in your sandbox. Now, when I was digging around, I heard this strange sound. And I saw this light that started emerging from the sand, you know, like the different grains of sand. Are they grains? Whatever the little sand things are. They're grains, right? They're not grains. Grains are something that you plant. They're, what, what do you call it? The little sand pieces. The little sand pieces were getting bright. They were getting so bright because there was something that was coming up from beneath the sand. And all of a sudden, out emerged this tiny flying saucer. I mean, I don't want to get like anticlimactic on you. It wasn't a huge flying saucer. It was really no bigger than the width of my hand, but it flew around. It was a flying saucer, y'all. It flew around my head and it sent out this greenish beam of energy to scan my thoughts, I guess. I don't know, it was, it was weird. And then it landed right in front of me and a little door opened up and this teeny tiny alien creature emerged. And it looked like a miniature E.T., you know, from the movie E.T. that he wanted to phone home. You remember E.T.? E.T. I don't know. It doesn't really hold up, does it? It's kind of an old movie, kind of slow. But I, I love when they freed the frogs. That was my favorite scene. Okay, anyway. So this little E.T. came out and he looked at me. And I heard this voice in my head. And he said, hello, Earthling. That's what it said. He knew I was an Earthling. 
He said, I am IT, the intraterrestrial. Get it? In- instead of extra, intra, because he came from inside the sandbox. And I come from a universe deep inside your body. And I have come here today to help you because I'm just a real big helper like that. On my planet, we also have the Enneagram. Wow. Wow. So not as not only is the Enneagram like this ancient thing we learned last time, it was like 13, 000, or 1,300 years ago with Matilda Ihaba and the papyrus scroll that it was I found in my sandbox. Now we see the Enneagram even exists on other planets. Wow. 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 On my planet, we also have the Enneagram, and I am known as A2. Wow. Wow. Imagine that. How weird it was. And here's what the little alien IT had to say. He told me that it's a deep truth that on his planet, everybody already knows or eventually comes to know that the needs of every single living thing, great or small, all their needs are unconditionally met in the natural flow of life, the natural flow of giving and receiving. That's just a deep truth on his planet that everybody already knows, or at least they come to know it. But what he told me was, this is a core truth that he had forgotten. Isn't that sad? Doesn't that bring a tear to your eye that this little teeny tiny alien, this ET, IT guy, you know, he just, he, he forgot that truth. And because he forgot it, he said, I live most of my days believing that if I want to get anything, I first need to give something. And in order to be loved by someone, they must need something from me. You know, I, I, I didn't have time to ask IT what happened, but there must have been something in his childhood that made him feel that way. But he he looked at me and he continued and he said, because that became a core belief in my fundamental worldview. Isn't that interesting that even aliens from other planets deep within, at least my body, know what a worldview is? That's cool. I got in a spaceship and left my planet and my entire solar system. And I set out from universe to universe, seeking other forms of life that I could serve. The more I served, the more I felt loved. I feel a great deal of pride in being needed, you see. But if I served them and they didn't give me anything back, well, that's when I just destroyed their planet and moved off to another one. Ooh, I don't know. That made me feel kind of weird about (laughs) E.T. I keep calling him E.T. He's a little tiny, tiny. He's an I.T. It made me feel weird about him. But, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to be destroyed either. And he told me that he was here to give me service, to help me somehow. Maybe, maybe he was helping me by helping me understand what, it, what it's like to be a two, even if it's a little teeny tiny IT2 from a planet inside my body. When I look out and scan everything there is to see in this world and others, all worlds, the things I most focus on are the needs and wants of others, especially of people I care very deeply about. I focus on relationships. When they hurt, I hurt. Ouch. 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 
Ouch. And this finger got long and this little uh, glowing fingertip at the end. Anyway. And what I need to do from moment to moment to meet the emotional and physical needs of others, that's what I focus on. Sometimes that makes me offer advice to others when they haven't asked for it. Eh. And because I am so focused on others, I don't always take care of myself. It would be nice, I guess, if I were as tuned into taking care of my own needs as I am to taking care of others. And I would be a lot happier if I did not use service as a way to manipulate others into liking me. I was really impressed. I got to tell you, I was really impressed at the self-reflection and the honesty of this little IT dude. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe it's because he's done his work. Maybe it's because he's found his healthy space. He's been able to be more self-reflective in the energy of a four. I don't know. We'll get to that eventually. But he looked up at me again. These really big, beseeching eyes. I mean, he was cute. He was, his eyes were big, but he was little. I mean, it's kind of a paradox, but you just got to go with me on this. People use a lot of different words to describe me. And when he said people, he meant like all kinds of creatures and all kinds of planets everywhere. They use words like helpful, supportive, caring, relationship-oriented, tuned in, optimistic, generous, likable, nurturing, advice-giving, responsible, prideful, intrusive, dramatic, a pushover, unable to say no, Indirect, manipulative. Oh, that, those last few kind of made me feel a little bad about him. But then he told me that he has some strengths. And he's, he did that by looking up at me and saying, I have several strengths. That's how I knew, you see, that he had several strengths, because he just told me. I'm helpful. If you need anything from me, just ask. Want me to take care of this climate change problem on your planet? I'm here for you. Not a bad idea, huh? Generosity. I am not stingy. I give as much as I can give. And then I give some more. Supportive. If you ever need a shoulder to cry on, I've got two. And I have some cousins who have five. I didn't ask him about, like, the five-shouldered cousins, but I, I didn't want to be rude. Expressive. I am expressive. If we become friends, I will show you how important you are to me through the many things I do for you. And I will take the initiative, my friend. You won't ever have to wonder if I care about you or not. Oh, it was, it really warmed my heart to meet IT like this. And, and he was about to leave. He, he was about to phone home and, and leave when he, he looked at me and he, and he said, you know, I want you to know one last thing. My most basic fear is being unwanted or being unworthy of being loved. Oh. Aww. And my most basic desire is... Do you want to take a guess? What do you think his most basic desire is? It's to feel loved, right? To feel loved. Yeah, I knew it. I knew that's what it was. And with that, IT reached out with this glowing little finger and he touched my heart. He touched it. And then he got back into his little ship, and he burrowed back into the interstellar sandbox. 
and like that glowing light with all those little pieces of sand that I couldn't figure out what they were earlier, you know, that light just went away. And then there, there I was, just at night, in my sandbox, just pondering the impact of IT and his message to me. But it's pretty cool, right? That IT showed up to tell me about twos today, right? But guess what? There's still more to say about twos because, you know, remember, I still have that long black cable wire that I dug up the other day, the day when I found the ancient papyrus scroll from Matilda Ihaba. You remember that? You remember that black cable? And, and that's the black cable that has Don Riso's voice on it. He's the one from the Enneagram Institute website. So let's hear what Don has to say about healthy, average, and unhealthy twos. Personality type two, the helper, the caring, nurturing type. Here's a short profile of some noteworthy healthy, average, and unhealthy traits of this type. Healthy twos are empathetic, sincere, and warm-hearted. They're also friendly, thoughtful, and generous, and are sincerely concerned for the welfare of others. They have an extraordinary ability to feel the feelings and the needs of others. And because they're so empathetic, healthy twos are willing to go out of their way to help and support others, especially in times of need. Average twos can become people-pleasers, looking for ways to get closer to others, often through flattery and gift-giving. Because they don't know if people love them in return, they become possessive of people, doing things to be needed. They become self-sacrificial and begin to hover around, giving unwanted advice and assistance, trying to make themselves indispensable. Average twos become proud of their virtue, but also need constant appreciation and expressions of gratitude. They also begin to wear themselves out for others, becoming martyrs to get attention and affection. Unhealthy twos feel unappreciated and victimized and can become guilt-instilling and manipulative to hold on to people, but are often self-deceptive about it. After all of their suffering and sacrifices, they feel entitled to get their needs met and may coerce others into taking care of them. At their best, however, very high-functioning twos are truly unselfish and altruistic. They learn to nurture themselves with unconditional love. Their giving is completely open-handed, and they find a tremendous joy in simply doing good from a pure heart. You can be fairly sure that you're dealing with a two if the person fits many of the characteristics I've just mentioned most of the time. But there are also lots of other more informal, telltale signs that you can be aware of. Twos are the kind of people who remember to send you birthday and holiday cards long after you've moved away. They're the kind of people who remember your spouse's name and the names of your children and pets, plus who has which allergies and what their major was in college. Twos are the kind of people who are the first in the kitchen after a party to help out with the cleanup. They may have also been the first to arrive with a casserole. At the office, twos are the people who have a bowl of candy or a tin of cookies at their desk, not for themselves, but for everyone who drops by to chat. Twos are the most people-oriented of all the types of the Enneagram. They're constantly thinking of others, and they try to do nice things so that others will think highly of them. As children, twos learn to fit into their families by being little helpers. They may have gotten a lot of praise by helping their parents cook or do housework or raise the younger kids. 
In any case, they had to become mature and responsible at a very early age. In time, young twos learned to be a stand-in parent to many people. As adults, parenting others is fine in many circumstances, especially in their own families. But it begins to cause conflicts when twos parent their friends and other adults, including business associates. It may also be a source of problems when twos parent their parents or their spouse. And if twos really get caught up in this role, they begin to act as if everyone is a child who needs a parent's love, their love. Some examples of well-known twos include Mother Teresa, Pope John XXIII, Eleanor Roosevelt, Bishop Desmond Tutu, Anne Landers, Leo Biscaglia, Sammy Davis Jr., Bill Cosby, Florence Nightingale, and Melanie Hamilton in Gone with the Wind. Melanie Hamilton, what a surprise to run into you here. I hope you're going to stay with us a few days at least. I hope I shall stay longer enough for us to become real friends, Scarlett. I do so want us to be. All right, thank you, Don, and thank you, Enneagram Institute website, for making that clip available. Now, sometimes people confuse twos for other personality types, other numbers on the Enneagram circle. So let's look at some times when twos get confused with the number right next to them, threes. So here again, confusion about the wings versus the dominant type is likely to be a problem. Remember, the wings are the numbers on either side. So a two could either have a three wing or could have a one wing. Now a two with a one wing is unlikely to be mistyped as a three. And a three with a four wing is unlikely to be mistaken for a two. With the two with the three wing and the three with the two wing, however, personal charm and the desire to be liked and to please others can make these types more difficult to distinguish. Confusion sometimes arises, for instance, because the word seductive has often been applied to type two. But clearly, all types can be seductive in their own way, and threes can be very seductive indeed. Therefore, it's important to distinguish how these two types seduce attention from others. Because basically, twos attempt to get others to like them by doing good things for them, by focusing on the other person. Like, how are you feeling this afternoon? Or, you look sad. <laughs> twos give the other person lots of appreciative attention in the hopes of being valued as a friend or an intimate by the other. Twos are primarily motivated by the desire to please the other as a way of creating closeness or intimacy to enhance the relationship. Threes, on the other hand, get others to like them by developing the excellence of their own package. Threes seldom lavish attention on other people. Instead, they're trying to be so outstanding and so irresistible that the other person will want to focus attention on them. And while threes enjoy the attention and want the relationships, they actually fear intimacy. And they become more uneasy as the relationship becomes closer. The twos and threes are different in several other key areas. While twos can be ambitious, they feel uncomfortable going after their personal goals directly because they feel like doing that would be selfish. But threes are extremely goal-driven and they feel that they're not living up to their potential if they're not being seen as being the best at what they do. Twos are openly sentimental and they emote feelings easily. Threes tend to be more composed and have difficulty accessing their feelings. 
Twos keep trying to do nice things for others until they lose their patience and blow up at what time they go to eight. Threes keep driving themselves to excel until they burn themselves out, and then they become more detached and passive, and they go to nine. Now, all that information comes from the Enneagram Institute, misidentifying twos and threes, and they do this for all the other numbers as well. They do it for fours and fives and sixes and sevens and eights and nines and ones. So if you're interested in finding out more about the misidentification with twos, check out the Enneagram Institute website, enneagraminstitute.com. So that's how a two can be mistaken for a three. But how are twos with other personality types in relationships? Well, it's a good thing that I found that seashell the other day with Suzanne Stabile's voice inside of it. So let's hold that up to our ear and listen in again to an excerpt from Suzanne's book, The Path Between Us, An Enneagram Journey to Healthy Relationships. Twos and Others Ones. Since twos always put relationship before strategy, they will struggle some with ones. But with a one wing, twos can appreciate a respect for order. That common ground is a place to begin. Twos. Twos with a two struggle to know who will lead, when, and how. Twos are other-referenced, so the focus may be on others outside of the relationship with needs to be met. Threes. Twos and threes are both image-conscious, so their perception of how they are seen can determine their choices. However, twos want to be wanted, and threes want to be loved for who they are and not merely for what they do. The expressions of those desires can be misleading. So in this relationship, enjoy the camaraderie, but respect the difference. Fours and eights. Twos do well with fours and eights, even if they're a little uncomfortable around them. Fours and eights are authentic, something twos need. Fives. Twos struggle in this relationship because fives prefer to keep their thoughts, plans, and ideas to themselves. Twos need to wait until fives are ready to share information about their lives. Sixes. Phobic sixes are afraid of something tangible, and twos are usually anxious about relationships, making up things that are not happening and worrying about what might happen to threaten them. Counterphobic sixes are both afraid and courageous at the same time, which is hard for twos to process. Twos might be both fearful and courageous, but not at the same time. Sixes both teach and learn by asking questions, so it will feel respectful when twos answer their questions with a generous spirit. Sevens. It's normal for twos to feel a bit insecure around sevens. Sevens might appear to be unaware of twos and their needs while tending to a plethora of activities they manage on a daily basis. Twos need to practice verbalizing what they want and need. It will be good for both. Nines. Nines are very much like twos. They are other-referenced, and they don't like conflict. But they are averse to doing, so twos need to be patient with their apparent lack of energy. Twos have an abundance of energy for all things having to do with people, so they need to be respectful of the difference. Thank you, Suzanne, and it's an excellent book. I highly recommend you all go out and get a copy of it. And I really like the audio book because I like hearing Suzanne's voice. Now, in times of stress... A two acts like an eight. They can allow themselves to feel and express more anger than they normally would, and they're more confident, they're more self-focused, and they're able to say no to things that others want them to do. They care less about what other people think. In times of security, 
a two will act more like a four. They'll become more self-aware. They'll gain a greater sense of their own uniqueness. And they're able to recognize a sense of self-worth just inside themselves that isn't dependent on service to others. Now being a two is terrific. Okay, yeah, I'm sorry. Look, I told you in the first episode that Ostland without the little two dots over the O is cheesy. You know, it's cheese land. It's terrific. Come on, I'm a seven. Let's just have fun here, people. Let's just have fun. Now, here are some tips for those of you who might be interested in doing your two work. These tips, once again, come from the Essential Enneagram, the Definitive Personality Test and Self-Discovery Guide by David Daniels and Virginia Price. I'm going to link to this on the website as well. So Daniels and Price suggest that you practice receptive awareness and that you should give yourself a timeout several times a day. So let's do that right now. Focus on your breathing. Deep breaths in, deep breaths out. Slow down the chatter in your mind. Center your attention on your chest and ask yourself the following questions. How much of my attention and energy have gone into responding to others' wants, needs, and feelings today? What have I done when I've seen that someone or something needs my help? In what ways have I been adapting myself to meet others' expectations? What happens inside of me when I don't feel appreciated? All right, now it's time for our creepy, culty, repeat-after-me session. Are you ready? Now I want you all to repeat after me. Each day, I will make a conscious effort to ask myself what I want and what I need from both myself and others. What I want and what I need from both myself and others. Wait, but about me? And deliberately make my own wants and needs a priority. And then deliberately make my own wants and needs a priority. I don't know. I'll try. I will do my best to notice that when a feeling of selfishness or guilt comes up, it can stop me from taking care of myself or from asking what I need from others. Uh, yeah, what he just said. Right. If I notice a rising emotional insensitivity in myself... I will use this feeling as a clue that I'm not paying sufficient attention to my own wants and my own needs. If I notice a rising emotional insensitivity in myself, I will use this feeling as a clue that I'm not paying sufficient attention to my own wants and my own needs. All right, now before we leave the sandbox today, I want to introduce you to a new friend. I don't know, maybe it's a new friend. Maybe you already know who this friend is. This is an Enneagram friend that I want to share with you. You're about to hear a clip from another Enneagram-themed podcast called Sleeping at Last. There we go. Maybe I will be able to get to sleep at last. Anyway, this is really an amazing clip. I don't want to sully it by my cheesiness. Now, if you're not already familiar with it, 
go devour it today because the Sleeping at Last podcast is run by singer-songwriter Ryan O'Neill, who makes music under the name Sleeping at Last, and he's written several songs that have been inspired by the Enneagram. And on his podcast, he talks about that inspiration. So in this clip, you're going to be hearing Ryan talking with a friend of his named Chris Huritz, who is the author of the book The Sacred Enneagram, and they're going to be talking about twos. So let's listen as Chris explains some of the qualities of a two, and then Ryan debuts a song that he created specifically for twos. Okay, so Chris, for for those of us that either um, are unfamiliar with uh, the Enneagram and uh, the Enneagram Type Two, uh, or for those of us that just need a refresher, can you can you dive us a little deeper into what is the the Type Two? Sure. So so the Enneagram Type Two. Or, or point to on the Enneagram, as you look at that circle and as you sort of work around that circle clockwise is, is the first type that actually is, is rooted and located in the heart center, the, the feeling center of, of the Enneagram's intelligence center. And, and, and we know that is true of the two. The two is, is the most heart forward of all the types, the, 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 the benevolent heart of the types, the, the nurturing energy and power of all nine types. The two is the, the type that you, 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 you want in your life because the two is the embrace of all that is good in us. And, and, and this is one of the gifts of the two that they can see what is good in us. They, 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 they draw that forward because of their, their affinity to engage on every emotional plane that is tethered to to love and, and, and even love and its sort of rudimentary and malformed experiences. And so the twos are emotionally intelligent. In fact, it's 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 very likely that if you're dominant in type two, you experience and, and feel and know somebody else's emotions better than than they know them for themselves or can feel them for themselves. Um, if you're dominant in type two, um, this emotional intelligence actually fuels what is is truly compassionate in you. What is was is truly empathetic, and that empathy is 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 your fluency. Uh, folks who are dominant type two are incredibly helpful. They're 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 natural nurturers. They're they're incredibly understanding. Um, in fact, they're 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 dependable. They're supportive, and 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 they're among the most generous of of all the types. They are um, sometimes mistaken as 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 um passive, but but there's really nothing passive about the force behind the two's strength. Because when a, a two is rooted, when, when a two is, is centered, um, like I said, the two becomes sort of the, the, the embodiment of what love and embrace looks like as it's, as it's selflessly and, and sacrificially given and given away for, for the better world, for the world that, that we all want to live in. That's absolutely incredible. And, and that idea of, uh, the twos being kind of a, a force, uh, I, that was, that was a huge inspiration behind the, the chorus lyric of the song, which is like a force to be reckoned with a mighty ocean or a gentle kiss. I will love you with every single thing I have. So let's jump right in and listen to the song. Uh, this is the debut of my Enneagram type two inspired song, which appropriately is titled two. I'm so excited for you guys to hear it. I hope that you like it. And um, especially if you identify as an Enneagram type two, I hope that there is a bit of yourself in this song as well as truth. And the main hope here is that uh, this song honors the beautiful and unique type that you are and honors the, the force of love that you are into this world. Sweetheart, you look a little tired. When did you last eat? 
Call me to make yourself right at home Stay as long as you need Tell me something wrong If something's wrong You can count on me You know I'll take my heart Clean apart If it helps yours beat It's okay if you can't find the words Let me take your coat and this weight off of your shoulders Like a force to be reckoned with A mighty ocean or a gentle kiss I will love you with every single thing Take the oxygen straight out of my own chest I know exactly how the world goes Put my mask on first Isn't, isn't that just a gorgeous song? Oh, oh, Ryan, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. 
Now, Ryan spends the next 50 minutes on his podcast breaking down the song and explaining its connection to the Enneagram, so go check it out today. You won't regret it. And that does it for today's episode, which was all about twos, but certainly it isn't all there is to say about twos. It's a nice overview, though, and it's a good place to start. But it sure was a fun day in the sandbox today, wasn't it? We heard from our friends Don Riso from the Enneagram Institute, Suzanne Stabile from her book, The Path Between Us, An Enneagram Journey to Healthy Relationships. We heard from our new tiny little friend from Innerspace IT, of course. And then we closed with Ryan O'Neill and Chris Hurts from the Sleeping at Last podcast. And yes, I went really fast past Chris's last name because I'm not quite sure how to pronounce it. Chris Hurts, is that it? I'm sorry, Chris. I'll figure it out someday. And I'll link to all of those things on my website, EnneagramSandbox.com. That's E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, Enneagram Sandbox, all one word, dot com, Enneagram Sandbox. Now, there's a lot of depth to mine in the study of the Enneagram, so I'm grateful that I have this sandbox to dig and play in, and I invite you to come and play with me in it as well. And if you don't mind... Would you take a few minutes after this episode is over, go to the website, EnneagramSandbox.com, and fill out a brief survey, because I'd like to know more about those of you who are listening that will be playing in this sandbox with me. Now, if you like what you heard, please recommend this podcast to your family and friends, and share this episode through social media. You can also give us a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes or any other podcast rating service that you use. Thanks again for playing. See you next time in the sandbox. And remember, no cats allowed. The Enneagram Sandbox is produced by Ear Candy Productions. Looking for help with a podcast for yourself or your business? Check us out at earcandyproduction.com. That's earcandyproduction, no S, dot com. Ear Candy Productions, audio never tasted so sweet. I love it, I love it, I love it.